Okay, so in the last chapters, um, I think we did 13 and 14 of Job last time. Uh, Job basically uh, took his case to God. He, uh, he rebuked Bildad uh, for what he was uh, trying to show Job. And, and, and Job basically, you know, he, he kind of mocked him. He, he mocked him and he was real sarcastic. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but personally, I loved it. Um, he uh, basically told the friends, you know, oh, I know you guys are so smart and I'm just this big dumb guy. Um, but your system just isn't working. You know, if you look around in reality, it's just not, uh, it's not real. The fact that, uh, we see wicked people, um, seem like they're prospering all the time and, and, and good people suffer, you know, so you're, uh, <clears throat> your, your system just doesn't work. And so in chapter 15 here, the thrust of, uh, this is going to be Eliphaz talking again. The thrust of Eliphaz's speech is that, um, that only those who are wicked suffer in this life. Uh, now, while we understand that there is eternal suffering waiting for those who, um, you know, found outside of perfect righteousness, Eliphaz asserts that Job must be wicked because he, of what he's going through right now. And it's it's the same thing that we've seen before. Um, they're trying to, um, you know, they're trying to press their system. They're trying to press their system into into what Job goes on. And we know that what Eliphaz asserts is not correct because it contradicts what God said about Job in the very beginning of the book. So, you know, while we understand there are consequences for sin, sometimes the wicked do prosper in this life. Sometimes the righteous do suffer. And Eliphaz refuses this. He Basically, he doesn't have any grace in his theology. If you do good, you get good. And if you do bad, you get bad. And the problem is, the problem with that theology is that the Bible makes it clear that uh, there's no one. There's no one that does good. So, as we begin this chapter, chapter 15, Job has really been talking for the last three chapters. Um, he rebutted, um, I, I think I said Bildad, it was actually Zophar. Zophar's claim in chapter 12, and then he, he you know, prepared and brought his case to God in 1314. I think that's right. Um, through this whole speech, Job made in, in these three chapters um, just picture what those friends must have been thinking as they, they had to stand there and listen to all that I bet they were fuming especially as sarcastic as Job was um, the further this debate goes on the more aggressive everyone involved just seems to get and we're about to go you know back through all the friends list again we've been through one speech each one had one speech and Job rebutted each one and now we're fixing to go back through it again um but just listen to them try. They're going to try to get at Job one more time. Eliphaz started off uh, the friend's speeches, and, and now we're back around to him again. So um, what we're going to see is is his graceless, works righteousness religion. Later in this chapter, Eliphaz is going to give a pretty darn good description of what hell will be like. And we've seen this uh, before. What... 
he'll talk about the suffering and being outcast from God and the, the wicked, what they'll experience and what they're supposed to experience when they receive justice. And in fact, much of what Eliphaz is going to show us about the destination of every wicked man is, is true. And so there's elements of truth in what Eliphaz is saying. Um, the speech is um, the first of a few speeches that's going to describe what this uh, perfect justice looks like. We know it as the eternal state of hell, uh, but they're thinking that it's supposed to happen in this life. The um, the other two friends will, you know, they're going to also give us good descriptions in their next two speeches, but there's a glaring problem with the application that Eliphaz makes. He's not warning Job of a place of eternal torment where the wicked will be separated from God forever. He is talking about how God deals with the wicked right now. He tells Job that there is no way that God allows the wicked to prosper in this life. That's one of the claims Job has made. Uh, the wicked get only suffering in this life because God is holy and righteous. In the same way, God would never put an innocent man through everything that Job is suffering. So Job must be lying. I mean, that's basically his claim. Um, he must be lying about being right before God. Job must not fear God. Um, if he is speaking the way that he's speaking, um, it sounds like, you know, it sounds like he's accusing God to his friends. So first thing, Eliphaz tells Job that his words are just nonsense. He's speaking jibber jabber and there's, you know, there's no way any rational person can take him seriously. It says, the text says, then Eliphaz, the, the Temanite answered and said, should a wise man answer with windy knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? Should he argue with an unprofitable talk or in words with which he can do no good? Remember in the last speech, Job claimed that he was just as wise as these three who were trying to counsel him. So, so here Eliphaz is saying, wise men don't answer questions with windy knowledge. He's basically telling Job that he's full of hot air. Um, he's filled his belly with the east wind and, and his words are just useless. For, for Eliphaz, Job's ideas, they can't be of use to anyone because the suffering man needs only to repent of his suffering and then he will be free from it. Um, but the way Job's thinking, no one's suffering is going to end because Job is saying that even good men suffer. So they're, they're kind of button heads here. So he is, uh, no matter what, uh, we haven't, we haven't in, in their minds, we haven't figured out who's right and wrong. Of course, us as the reader, we know who's right and wrong. Um, but uh, in their mind, in, in, in Eliphaz's mind, he's saying, Job, if you're, if you're, what you're saying is true, then, you know, there's no hope for anybody. There's no hope for, for, you know, what use is what you're saying? Because if the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper, then there's no hope for anyone in this life. We don't have control of whether we suffer, whether we prosper. Um, so it's just ridiculous to him. And not only are Job's words ridiculous to Eliphaz's view, but they're also sacrilegious. Job, in Eliphaz's mind, Job is defaming the very character and nature of God by saying that God would allow suffering like this to come upon uh, what he considers an innocent man. Verse 4 says, but you are doing away with the fear of God. He says, and you're hindering 
meditation before God. Eliphaz is afraid that if, if people start thinking like Job, there won't be any reason to fear God and seek his favor because suffering comes to everyone the same. It, you know, it doesn't matter if you do good or bad. Suffering is coming your way, so why be good? Why try to please God if you're just going to get you know, suffering anyway? And, and what's interesting, what's really fascinating about this is that Eliphaz is sounding a whole lot like Satan sounded at the very beginning of the book. Remember Satan told God that Job only loved God because he... Uh, because of all the blessings God had given him. Uh, he said that if God were to take his blessings from Job, Job would curse him to his face. And here, Eliphaz is following the same line of thinking. He's saying, if blessing doesn't come to people uh, to trust and obey God, then why should anyone trust and obey God? You see, Eliphaz sees the goal as the blessings, not God. He doesn't really see relationship with God as the end in itself. He he's just he's just using God to get what God has to offer. And, and so Eliphaz is saying, you know, if you're right, Job, then there's no reason to serve God because suffering comes on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. Seems like the wicked's prospering. So in Eliphaz's mind, the only purpose that you would be serving God would be to get something in return. And Job is thinking differently. He just wants to be vindicated before the Lord. And and Eliphaz just can't understand why Job would even want to be right before God if Job believed that he is right and God is punishing him anyway. Um, I, hope, I hope you can follow that. For, for Eliphaz, the only reward for trusting God is the blessings that God gives. But for Job, God himself is the reward. Not just the blessings... Even though all the blessings of Job's life have been taken away, Job is still desperately trying to be right with God. He's trying to have his case heard and, and, and what he perceives as injustice. Uh, he wants that righted so he can be back in relation with God. Uh, and, and of course, we know that, that he never left right relationship with God. But Job doesn't understand all that yet. So uh, we're privy to information he just doesn't have. Not only are Job's words useless and sacrilegious in Eliphaz's view, but they're also to make Job, uh, Eliphaz thinks that Job is just trying to make himself look better. He's trying to justify himself um, before God's court, as it were. Um, Eliphaz believes that Job is just trying to puff himself up. He says in verse 5, For your iniquity teaches your mouth. And you choose the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you, and not I. Your own lips testify against you. Eliphaz claims that it's Job's sin that's causing him to justify himself. His iniquity is teaching his mouth. Basically, he's saying that, you know, um, that it's... That, that wicked sinfulness that you are, you're holding on to, that's the reason. That you're speaking the way that you're speaking. It's not because you feel innocent. Uh, your words are condemning you. According to Eliphaz, Job is just wrong based on the experience of the whole world and their whole theological worldview. So the more Job talks, the more his sin and iniquity is displayed for all to see. Um, in Eliphaz's view, Job is saying that his sin, he thinks Job is saying that his sin is okay because he denies that it's the cause 
of the suffering he's experiencing. It, it, it seems like Job and Eliphaz are, are passing each other as they argue um, without taking in what the other is saying. Job is saying he hasn't sinned great enough to nullify the sacrifices for the forgiveness of his sins that God has commanded. And Eliphaz is saying that just by Job speaking such things, he's demonstrating that he's sinning. So it's kind of a catch-22, you know. You're darned if you do and darned if you don't. It's it's like someone accusing you of being an alcoholic, and you say, no, I'm not an alcoholic. Well, you know, you know what that leads to. The next thing they say is, well, you know, the first stage is denial. Uh, so it doesn't matter... If you deny it or you affirm it, you know, you're in the stage of denial. There's no way to argue your way out. And so uh, this is what we're seeing going on. They're kind of passing each other. And and not only are Job's, you know, uh, words to uh, make himself justified, he's self-justifying and sacrilegious, but they're also sinful. And, you know, in in and of themselves, they are sinful words is what Eliphaz is going to accuse Job. He's going to accuse him of pride and arrogance. He says, are you the first man who was born or were you brought forth before the hills? Um, You know, he's saying, he's saying, Job, who do you think you are? All, you know, are you the wisest man that that ever lived? Are you are you smarter than all of us? Uh, were you here before the creation so that you know so much more than everyone else? Uh, who are you to contest what the the whole world knows is true? I mean, that's pretty arrogant of you, Job. You know, and this is what Eliphaz is saying. You know, what makes you think you know something that no one else knows? And he continues in verse 8. He says, have you listened in the counsel of God? And do you limit wisdom to yourself? What do you know that we don't know? What do you understand that is not clear to us? Both the gray-haired and the aged are among us, older than your father. So he's saying, we got wisdom and knowledge, and we've got uh, the elders on our side. Eliphaz, he wonders if Job thinks that, you know, hey, he says, do you have a direct line to God? Uh, Have you listened to the counsel of God? Do you think you know more than every other man who lives on the earth? Why in the world do you think you perfectly understand the mind of God more than all the other elders who've aged and gained wisdom? Uh, Men older and wiser than than your father agree with us about how God works and and what he does and, and doesn't do. Why do you think you can, you know, just tell us something completely opposite and we're we're supposed to just accept it? He continues uh, critiquing Job's words by saying that that his words are actually sinful and enmity against God. He's saying that Job is spouting hatred against the true God. He says in verse 11, Are the comforts of God too small for you? Or the the word that deals gently with you? Um, I mean, he's he's showing that the blessings that God gives, uh, Job is, is... in Eliphaz's mind, the reason to follow and fear God is the blessings. But Job is not satisfied with that. So he's saying, are those blessings not good enough for you? Verse 12 says, why does your heart carry you away? And why do your eyes flash that you turn your spirit against God and bring such words out of your mouth? According to Eliphaz, Job is blasphemy. Uh, remember that Eliphaz is basically saying that Job should desire the blessings of God and to, to receive them you know, uh, and to receive uh, 
the, the blessings back, all he has to do is repent. But Job says he has nothing in this life for which he's not already repented and sacrificed for. So Eliphaz thinks that Job just doesn't want God's blessing. Uh, he'd rather hold on to his sin and give up God's blessing rather than admit his wrongdoing and be restored. Of course, he's, he's wrong, but that's what he thinks. We know that Job is not in the position that Eliphaz is claiming. He, he has not sinned in the way that Eliphaz is claiming, and he wants much more than just God's blessing. He wants God. He wants to be right before God. He wants to be in right relationship with God. By claiming that he has not sinned against God and is going through all this suffering, um, Eliphaz is claiming, by claiming this, you're, you're letting your heart carry you away from God. This is what Eliphaz says Job is doing. When you are suffering and you, and you think you're right before God, uh, that's to let your eyes flash in anger. It's, it's saying you're being blasphemous against the one who knows all. In, in Eliphaz's point of view, Job has turned his spirit away from God. If he thinks that God would allow this kind of suffering to a righteous man, he must be crazy. And even more than this, Eliphaz claims that Job's uh, assertions are just impossible. There is no way that they can be true. Job just... He just can't be correct. It says, what is man that he can be pure? Or or he who is born of a woman that he can be righteous? Behold, God puts no trust in his holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in his sight. Uh, Job is claiming that he's pure in God's sight. Uh, he's claiming that these uh, all his sacrifices and his devotion to God and his faith, they have covered his sin. He's in the right before God. But uh, but Eliphaz knows that man can't be pure before God. No man can be righteous before God, as Job claims to be. But once again, Eliphaz is missing Job's point. Job's not righteous because he's never sinned. We've already seen Job admitting that he had sinned. Uh, he is righteous because he kept the uh, repentant sacrifices through faith so that he would experience God's forgiveness. Uh, he even did the sacrifices for his children. Eliphaz knows that even the angels are not perfect. His holy ones is what he says in verse 15. Uh, they're, they're not perfect. Many of them fell to, to earth when, when they sinned. And, and, and he doesn't understand how Job can, can claim to be without sin. That's what he's thinking Job is saying. And because of all that Job uh, is going through, he, he must be even worse than other man. Verse 16 says, How much less one who is abominable and corrupt, a man who drinks injustice like water. Because Eliphaz thinks Job is abominable and corrupt as he wallows in his sin, he is um, he's accused of being worse than other men who dwell in wickedness, and this is why God is punishing him so much. Uh, this is why God is allowing all this suffering to come on Job because of all the sin that he refuses to admit. And so here Eliphaz is judging the heart and motives of Job. He doesn't know Job's heart, but he believes he can assess uh, Job's spiritual state by examining the suffering Job has experienced. And, and we know that, that is, that's not correct. Um, God's people suffer uh, all the time. Just in the first century, think of all the Christians who were who were martyred, who were executed. But um, here is where we turn the corner and, and we see Eliphaz's description of outer darkness. He's going to 
describe the plight of the wicked. Uh, and he is, um, the problem with Eliphaz's description is that he thinks that this uh, state of perfect justice that the wicked experience is already present now in the world. Um, and that's just, that's just not true. In this evil world, the wicked seem to prosper all the time. So, so Eliphaz is going to give us a brilliant description of eternal punishment. Um, it's all true. And it's all frightening. But Eliphaz isn't talking about eternal punishment. He's talking about what God does to the wicked in this world. Uh, he's going to introduce his comments by telling Job that, that this is the wisdom that has been handed down from generation to generation. And Job needs to swallow his pride. He needs to accept it. Uh, he claims to have seen it with his own eyes, Eliphaz does. And, uh, you know, it's been passed down. He says in verse 17, he says, I will show you. He says, hear me. And what I have seen, I will declare. And then verse 18 says, what wise men have told without hiding it from their fathers, to whom alone the land was given, and no stranger passed among them. So, uh, he said, I'm fixing to show you. So let's look at Eliphaz's description of perfect justice. And, and while Eliphaz is talking about this life, we know that's not so. Let's look at it in terms of what we understand, um, what we understand, what the New Testament has told us uh, about uh, eternity and and how the New Testament has sh shown light on the Old Testament and and brought it all together. Let's look at look at it in light of what it will be. This is uh, this is Eliphaz gives a really good description of perfect justice, perfect wrath. Um, but it's it's life according to Eliphaz. This is how things are right now. Um, the first thing he says is that the wicked dwell in pain. Verse twenty: the wicked man. Rise in pain all his days through all the years that are laid up for the ruthless. Now we know that this simply isn't true. Not in the present evil world, but it will be true one day. Many of the Old Testament prophets cry out to God because they see wicked men prospering all over the place. Uh, standing with God in his righteousness, uh, it, it can't be measured by the level of comfort or the level of prosperity that you live. It just can't. Uh, not in this world, but there will come a day. There will come a day when it will. He also says that the wicked will dwell continually in fear. Dreadful sounds are in his ears. In prosperity, the destroyer will come upon him. He does not believe that he will return out of darkness, and he is marked for the sword. According to Eliphaz, the wicked are fearful. I mean, living in a panicked fear all their days as they're waiting for the destroyer to come upon them. But, but most of the wicked are wicked precisely because they do not fear the consequences of their sin. Um, and so he also claims that the wicked are fearful because they don't believe they can escape their fate. But most of the wicked give no thought to their consequences. Unless they're uh, regenerated by God, they're very content to live in their sin. Uh, they may be miserable in the the way that they do not, you know, understand or know the joy of, of relationship with God. But um, as far as uh, living it up and, and doing what they want and 
those kind of things, they most are pretty content. Um, and, and here you see a prime example of Eliphaz's view as a perfect description of what hell will be like, but it doesn't describe the present world at all. The wicked don't care about the consequences now. I mean, if they did, they would be uh, turning toward God. You know, they would be they would be you know led by the Spirit into, into conviction if they understood and believed the consequences. He also claims that the wicked always dwell in need. Verse 23 says he, he wanders abroad for bread. He doesn't have enough food. He's saying, where is it? He knows that a day of darkness is ready at his hand. So he claims that the wicked never have enough. Uh, they never have enough food. They never have you know enough anything. They're destitute. Um, they are always in want, never experience any amount of satisfaction. They wander around for bread and water. Uh, there's no way they can have any fulfillment. And this is exactly what hell will be like for the wicked. Um, it will be perpetual need, perpetual longing for something that will never come. But it isn't an accurate description of the world right now. Many of the wicked who reject Christ are, you know, they're actually wealthy in this world. Um, and as far as the physical needs are concerned, that they don't want for anything. There's, you know, people in Hollywood, movie stars and all of them, that, you know, they could care less about anything that God would have. But, but as far as the world standards are concerned, they're doing pretty darn good. Um, they may be dead spiritually, but materially they have quite a lot. And so another aspect of hell that he's going to show us is that the wicked always dwell in anguish. Distress and anguish terrify him, it says. They prevail against him like a king ready for battle. Um, are the wicked always in anguish in this life? I mean, think about it. Does he claim that anguish and terror are always fighting against him? Um, you know, not in this sinful world. Not in the world. Uh, it doesn't happen for, mo for the most part. But Eliphaz is giving some truth in all this. There is coming a day when all this will be true. In hell, all those things will become a reality for those who reject Christ. Eliphaz's implication is clear. He's, he's describing the exact things that Job is now going through. So he's kind of implying that Job is these things. He's describing Job's situation. Therefore... Job must be lying about being right with God. He knows that God only sends suffering like this to the wicked. Therefore, Job must be wicked and under God's condemnation. Now, Eliphaz is going to speak directly to Job's situation next. He, uh, now that he thinks he has described what the wicked person experiences, he's going to apply that experience directly to Job to show him you know, the wicked person is Job. He's not speaking abstractly. He's talking about Job. Uh, verse 25 says, Because he has stretched out his hand against God and defies the Almighty, running stubbornly against him with a thickly bossed shield. The wicked, which means those who are suffering, have defied God. He, he, he's implying that Job has done this. He's stretched out his hand against God and he's defying the Almighty's authority. Eliphaz is accusing Job of running stubbornly against God's will and, and this is the only possible explanation to why he's suffering. Uh, you know, so therefore, Eliphaz is saying that um, this is why Job is suffering because of what he has done. This is the kind of person uh, God causes to suffer.
like Job is suffering. Therefore, Job must be this kind of person. And then next he's going to accuse Job of, of running after his own lusts. And this is why he's suffering. Verse 27, because he has covered his faith with his fat and gathered fat upon his waist. Uh, 28 says, and has lived in desolate cities and houses that none should inhabit, which are ready to become heaps of ruin. According to Eliphaz's logic, Job has to love his comfort and pleasure more than God because he has covered his faith face excuse me with his fat meaning that he is indulged in gluttony and pleasure and he has gathered fat upon his waist basically he's just living for the pleasures of this life job is following disobedient paths according to eliphaz eliphaz implies that job you know he's lived in in desolate cities and houses that should not be inhabited meaning that his lifestyle is one of disobedience he, his life is like a house ready to become ruined. In Eliphaz's worldview, Job is getting exactly what he deserves. And many of us feel condemned like Eliphaz is condemning Job when we suffer. Uh, when the reality is that if we're in Christ, uh, God sees us as righteous even though we suffer. And here we get to the culmination of Eliphaz's argument. Um, his point is to discredit Job by, by, by telling him that the, the wicked cannot be prosperous in this life. Um, and this is what Job has said. He said that the wicked are prosperous all around him. And Eliphaz says that the, it just isn't so. Verse 29 says, he will not be rich and his wealth will not endure, nor will his possessions spread over the earth. The wicked man will never be rich and his wealth can't endure. That's what he says. We, we know from just plain common sense that this isn't true. Wicked men prosper all over the place. They won't, you know, they won't prosper when God brings his wrath on the sinful world. But right now, there is no doubt that they are prospering. Uh, many of them are. Eliphaz's statement even flies in the face of some of Jesus' own words uh, about when he taught about the rich. He says that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than a rich man to get to heaven. So, you know, you can also think of the story of the rich man and Lazarus that illustrates that the wicked are, are often rich and the poor and suffering are often the righteous. So Eliphaz is implying uh, that Job is wicked and this is why his wealth was taken from him. But his words about uh, uh, suffering in this life and righteousness uh, directly contradict what the Lord Jesus told us. So, and, and they contradict what God has said in the first two chapters of Job. Um, he also says that the wicked will progress toward darkness in this life. He says, he will not depart from darkness. The flame will dry up his shoots and the breath of his mouth will depart. This is why Job won't repent. <laughs> because wicked men won't depart from darkness. This is Eliphaz's explanation. Instead of seeing that Job is telling the truth and he is righteous, Eliphaz assumes that Job is just holding on to his sin. He's saying Job won't repent. He, he will uh, head toward darkness for good. Uh, Eliphaz is trying to explain why Job refuses to listen to reason. He says, let him trust. Let him not trust in emptiness, deceiving himself for emptiness will be his payment if uh, it, it will be paid in full before its time and his branch will not be given the wicked will reap what they sow is what he's saying it is true 
got to remember, it is true that one will reap what he sows. But Eliphaz is speaking about the suffering and the prosperity that we have in this life. Um, the fact is that, that many wicked prosperous with all kind of things of life, yet we know that the things of this life are emptiness in themselves. This is not, you know, Eliphaz doesn't mean spiritually empty as we know it. He means that those who go after emptiness will suffer like Job is suffering in this life. The wicked will only experience suffering in this life. That's what he's saying. He'll shake off his unripe grape like the vine and cast off his blossom like the olive tree. For the, the company of the godless is barren. The fire consumes the tents of bribery. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil and their womb prepares deceit. Eliphaz makes a very unsubtle point here. He claims that true religion, which has been handed down by tradition, says that Job's lying. God does not allow people in right standing with him to suffer. That's what Eliphaz is saying. And of course we know that he's mistaken. And Job is right with God. So everything Eliphaz has been saying is incorrect. Um, It's true on the face that there will come a day where perfect justice and all this will be experienced, but that day isn't today in this world. Um, Eliphaz's religion is one that it makes no room for grace or repentance. Um, Only those who, who do good get good, and only those who do bad um, experience bad things. But it's clear that this is not the religion of the Bible. This is where man heads with his religion when we take God and Christ out of the picture. This is where the Pharisees went when Jesus came on the scene and taught them the right way. And this is where our minds tend to go back. Uh, We have to fight to preach the gospel to ourselves, to live in the gospel, knowing that we are righteous in Christ no matter what goes on in this life. Uh, and But how easy it is when we go through suffering, when we go through hard times, to fall back into the mindset to say, God is punishing me. God is not happy with me. God is not pleased with me. When the reality is that if God is not pleased with you, it's because it's because... You're not in Christ. And that's the only way he would be not pleased.